As I said earlier, this, this morning is the morning we've set aside to just say a couple of things as a church family to those that are getting ready to leave home, some of them for the very first time. And what we want to do as a church family, because all of these, all of these young people, uh, it's kind of hard to say that they just belong to their parents. I, I feel as, uh, as, as unified and as loving and as warm as and the, the word family really describe this church these kids really seem like they belong to us as well. And their, their blessings are things that bring a smile to our lips. And, and when they're happy, we're happy. When they weep, we weep. And as a church family, we want to, to send them off uh, to the next thing, whatever that might be in their life, with at least a couple of words from, from their church family that we want them to remember. And so we'll jump in that in just a minute. Let's ask God to bless all of us as we study His Word this morning by going to Him in prayer. Father, it, it, it becomes nearly cliche for us to say that the only thing that never changes is change, but that's so true. And we all come to that place in, in life, Father, where the change is very personal to us or it's happening in a very personal way to somebody that we really care for. Somebody that we've invested our time and our emotions, especially our love and, and our, our, our best wishes and our best enthusiasms and energies into. And as a church family, Father, we, 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 we bear all of these burdens together as well as, as rejoice in all of the joys that come into our lives, regardless of whatever age we are. But as we, we get ready to see some of our, our young folk head off to the next thing in their life, we, we want them to be blessed, Father. And we want them to know how important they are to this church family and especially to your kingdom. And Father, we ask that as we think about these things, that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. probably don't know the name Danny Foley. I did not know it until just recently. But in 2014, he was a University of Virginia sophomore who wanted to be a part of his school's basketball team, even if that meant faking his way down onto the court. Well, at some point in the season last year, he and his friends noticed that all of the assistants and all of the assistant coaches wore the same suit, white shirt, bright orange tie. And before Virginia's conference championship against Duke, these guys, these students, went to Walmart and they bought some knockoff suits. They bought a dark suit, dark shoes, dark socks, white shirt, and a bright orange tie. And then they went and they bought a $30 nosebleed ticket to be able to get into that championship game against Duke. And during one of the TV timeouts, Danny, in this fake Virginia assistant outfit, confidently walked past the ushers, down behind the cheerleaders, and during this timeout, he walked out onto the floor to be a part of that team huddle. And there he is. Not only that, when Virginia beat Duke 72-63, to Danny Foley fake assistant coach, joined his teammates in the handshake line, and as all of this confetti is falling down around them, he shakes hands with the legendary Coach K of Duke. And there he is again. Not only that, he even appears in the postgame photos wearing a championship t-shirt over his suit, 
And it was at this point that Danny was spotted as a fake by Virginia security and escorted. Well, actually, he, he ran for his life. And he climbed over the rails and into the, into the stands and disappeared. You know, the Bible talks a lot about, about when you become a disciple of Jesus, you're putting on Christ. And when I think about this story, there's a question that I think that, that, that follows. And the question is this, are you really a new person in Christ or just the same old person in a new suit? There's always been a temptation to stroll through a life of faith rather than fight for it to be profound and transformational. That as long as you show up every once in a while for worship, that you maybe every once in a while put a check in the plate, you know a couple of formulaic prayers, know some of the basic facts, then that's good enough to get you out onto the court and into the team huddle. But here's something to think about. If you were here this last Wednesday night, you heard Scott Meyer in talking about the Psalms in our summer series ask this question. The question is profound. He asked, is your faith deeper than what Satan believes about God to be true? James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. Satan and the demons will admit that there is a God, that God is powerful, that God created everything. But there's one thing that Satan and the demons will not admit, and that God is worthy of worship. They will not admit that God is the Savior of our souls. And so because that is true, and because they are reality, there is a, 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 a very profound angle that you need to look at your faith through, and that is your faith is something that has to be fought for. You have to fight for your faith. And I, wanna, I want us to think about three things this morning in the time that we have left, to, just as a reminder of what it means to fight for your faith. Number one, God needs to be always, every day of your life, in every moment, the supreme value and the center of all things. In a little piece he entitled, He Commanded and They Were Created, John Piper writes, if God should ever cease to address you body and soul with the command be, you would cease to be. The only barrier between you and nothingness is God's Word. End of quote. As a Christian, you must develop a worldview that cannot imagine your life without God at the very core of your being. I mean, that's one of the most basic teachings of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other what? Gods before me. We spin over into the New Testament and here's Jesus in the middle of those temptations in Matthew chapter 4. And there at the end, he says to Satan, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him what? Only. Your heart is made for worship and it will worship something as, as naturally as breathing. But if you begin to worship the wrong thing, that wrong thing that you're worshiping and making the core of your, the center of your life will bend you and twist you. Quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why the Bible never commands worship. The Bible assumes that you're going to worship. What the Bible commands is that that worship center, the, 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 the focus, the target of that worship be God. Make it God. And so this is one of the areas that you have to fight for in terms of having a profound faith. Our culture does not help cultivate the habit of worship. It creates so many interesting things for you to use your best energies and expend your best enthusiasms on rather than 
strenuously and faithfully and continually and, and in a disciplined way move God to the center of your core through worship every week. Our culture does not encourage a gospel-driven way of life. Our culture does promote lifting up self even if it's in the service of others. I mean, you can serve others as long as that purpose is of making your resume look better. No, one of the things that you have to fight for every day of your life is to make God the very center of every decision that you make. That's why as you begin this new chapter in life, I want to remind you that you commit and you recommit yourself to worshiping the God of the Bible. You commit and you recommit yourself to worshiping the God of the Bible. And so before that first Sunday morning away from home rolls around, make the decision to be in a body of believers worshiping God. And find out where that church is. It's the 21st century. It's the Internet. Everybody's heard of it. You can get on Google and you can find a church and you can find directions. But do that before Saturday night ends. And then number two, Christians are full-time disciples of Jesus. There's not a moment that you turn it on. There's not a moment that you turn it off. Now, you may have noticed in all the years that I've been preaching here that I really use the term disciple to describe us more than I use the term Christian. And it's not at all because I have anything against the term Christian. It's biblical. But I want to make sure that we understand that there is more to our faith than just Christian principles and Christian apologetics. Before the word Christian was ever used in Antioch to describe us and our faith, and the center of our faith, we were called disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. And a disciple is someone who is trying to live like their master in every way. Not just in habits, but in the way that we think, in the way that we respond and react to the world, in the way that we, we see events transpiring and unrolling, uh, or unfolding before us. That's why John reminded the church in Asia Minor that whoever claims to live in Him, that is, we live in Jesus, must walk or live as Jesus did. That's what it means to be a person of faith. And you'll notice in that verse out, out of 1 John chapter 2 that there are no time parameters that are put on that. You make decisions that reflect you're a disciple of Jesus, whether it's in the dorm or in the military barrack or in the locker room or the apartment complex, wherever you might find yourself in that new town. And I'll be the first to tell you that that's not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes you have to live across the grain. And there's a negative and a positive aspect to that. The negative thing is that one of the things you'll notice, if you have not already, is that a lot of folks get into trouble for making decisions to do things that you've been taught all your life is wrong. I've spent a lot of time with people who have wrecked their lives or are on the, the precipice of wrecking their lives who wish that they could go back to that moment when they knew that they were crossing a line into a dangerous area, but they did it anyway. But on a more positive side, when you commit your life to living like Jesus, you will be used by God to change lives and make a difference in the world wherever you find yourself. Many of you have asked, have noticed and have asked about this, this red um, uh, bracelet that I've been wearing uh, for the last, well, actually about the last six weeks or so. It goes back to two graduates, 2012 graduates from ACU. One was from Brownwood. One was from Annandale, Minnesota. 
In 2009, as, a, as freshmen and sophomore there at ACU, they developed, while they were in college there, a passion for helping women and children in the thriving sex trafficking industry in the Asian nation of Nepal. And they founded the Red Thread Movement in 2009, uh, 2009 the Red Thread associated with Rahab. They, they started that in 2009, and they started selling these bracelets for $3.00 which started out at Abilene Christian, has now spread to 75 campuses across the United States. And the money for these $3 bracelets funds safe houses for these girls taken out of this slavery to heal their hearts and to be introduced to Jesus. And when you go into these nations at those border crossings, there are girls, women in purple clothing that watch all day at these border, border crossings for these girls that have been enslaved in this way. And on average today, they are saving 10 to 15 girls per border station per month and taking them to these safe houses and letting them heal and introducing them to the Savior and allowing them finally to return home. And when they do, they are, they are now businesswomen and they are now church planters and they are community leaders. And that was started by a couple of sophomores. It doesn't always have to be that big. But it can always be that profound to change a life. And so the question that you ask yourself every day when you get up is, for whom do I live on this day? Do I live for the Christ or do I live for self? Do I live for Jesus of Nazareth as his disciple or do I live for something else? And then finally, one of the last things I'll leave you with this morning is we are saved and sustained by grace. A very important verse in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this what? Grace in which we what? Now, now stand. In which we now stand. You know, there used to be, and maybe there's still remnants of it today, an understanding of the salvation that we receive in Christ, that once you're saved, you're saved. But if you sin, you have to pray for forgiveness in order to be forgiven. And so the scenario was debated about that you're driving down the road, there's a deer that runs out in front of you, you drive off the cliff, and just as you're going off the cliff, you say a cuss word out loud. But you forget to pray forgiveness as you're plummeting down the hill to your death. Are you saved or are you not saved? If you're not good enough to earn your way into the kingdom, what makes you think you're good enough to stay in the kingdom without God's grace? You are saved by what Jesus did for you. And you are sustained each day by the grace, as Paul says it, in which you now stand. And you know what that means? It means a lot of things, but it means it's very simply, you can always come home. You can always come home. Unfortunately, some of you are going to mess up and mess up to a, degree, uh, to a degree that you can never imagine sitting in this pew. But I want you to know that there are people in this church who will move mountains for you in their prayer life. And there are people in this church who will do whatever they can to help you. And sometimes that love is tough. Sometimes that love is tough. Love, biblically speaking, is not gooey and syrupy, 
kind of a everybody feels good. I mean, everybody can feel good in certain aspects of that love, but sometimes that love is tough. And sometimes the kingdom of, of, of God, that love has to be brutally honest before it makes a difference in your life. But Christian love, godly love, kingdom love is always going to care about whether or not the kingdom of God is being formed in you. And every person in this church family cares about what is best for you. And who doesn't need more of that? Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And, and maybe you don't need to go away and mess up. Maybe you know some of those issues have happened right here, right now, this past week or in the last couple of days where you feel like, you know what? God just seems so far away. You can always come home. It's not always easy. Sometimes the hardest is that first step. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is, is to get to that place in the humility of knowing that because of these things that have happened in my life, I have a clear-cut picture of what I'm capable of doing as a human being. But that's why there's confession. To be able to get that out and to begin to let go of it and to begin to deal with it. That's why there's the opportunity to pray and to ask for, for God's forgiveness, not just to be so, but, be, to be, but to be something that can liberate you from that guilt and galvanize your spirit to live in a different way, not to repeat those same mistakes over and over and over again, but as a disciple of Jesus with His Spirit inside of you, to be sanctified and transformed in such profound ways that you begin to live and to look and to respond and to, to hunger and to yearn and to thirst after the things that Jesus Himself hungers and thirsts and yearns for. Not just in the world, but primarily in your life. Or maybe it is that you just have never found home. Home is always where the Father is, right? Home is where the Father is. And it does, I'm, I'm telling you as your minister, it doesn't matter what you've done. You can find that forgiveness. Now, there may be consequences... There, there, there may be pain, there may be some, some suffering type consequences that have come into your life because of this, but you can come home. And you can find forgiveness. And you can find the salvation of your soul. And you can find peace even in the middle of those consequences. You can find peace. And you can deal with those consequences. And you can deal with the right turn that your life has made through repentance and confession. You can deal with it having your sins washed away so that God doesn't remember it ever again. If that describes you this morning, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe you need to come down and talk to them about something that's happening in your life. If that's true, I implore you to do it this morning as we stand and praise God together. Let's stand and sing. Oh Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven.